We are glad that you're with us today. I loved seeing in those videos some of the some of our homesteaders in those videos. We had a couple, of, a couple of our own in those. We uh, we care about foster care here. We've got families that are a part of that. So it's great having you here. What a challenge to us. A very practical way for us as the body of Christ to care for those who are in need. You know, it's not a, it's not a secret that this the the widow and the orphan is at the heart of God for His people to care for. You read in the book of, book of James 127, religion that our God, the Father, accepts as pure and faultless is this. And it's not, you know, pray four times a day, and it's not, you know, make sure you're doing all the, obeying all the Ten Commandments, or at least seven out of the ten, or whatever it is. Religion that God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So that's our call, our, our challenge today. We are... Um, Grateful for you to be here, so uh, thanks for coming today. We've been in a series where we've been talking just about different areas that we can give and support, and um, what I don't want to have happen is to, to kind of like overload. I, I'm sure that in the church planting textbooks or the pastoring textbooks, there's never a moment where they say, make sure you have missions guests back to back and then have other guests, you know, four weeks in a row talking about giving. You're supposed to spread those things out, right? If you re if it's church planting 101. But here's the thing. We don't want anyone to like start getting overwhelmed by all these opportunities. We just recognize God's going to stir your heart for different things. So we just want to present opportunities. We had a couple weeks ago, missionary, a young family heading to China with their, with their kids to help plant churches. We had a missionary family last week, again, a young family. They're going to Thailand to plant churches, to train up pastors. Um, we wanted today to focus more on something we can do in Minnesota, and so we are so glad that the, the Real Hope Project uh, was able to join us today. We've been talking about Toys for Town and Best Christmas Ever, families that are in need, that, uh, I mean, legit need that we can bless, that we can help. And so these are all the things that we want to do. And, and really what we've been doing as a church is just focusing on generosity between the weeks, between Thanksgiving and Christmas, um, that we could focus on blessing some people, whether it's around the world supporting missionaries. We took offerings the last two weeks, and you were very generous to support the missionaries. We added them on to our monthly support. Um, and I know we're going to be uh, generous and supportive of the Real Hope Project and then take some gift tags for Best Christmas Ever and Toys for Town and all, the, all those good things. Because what we wanted to do as a church, and from day one, um, we talked about this, that we wanted to be tithers as a church. So tithing is a, is a Bible word for giving 10% of your income to the local church or to the work of God. And we as a church, we wanted to make sure that we were doing that. So we wanted to say, okay, what comes in every year, 10% of that, we're going to make sure we give away to missionaries or to other outside of Homestead. And so we support missionaries, not just the two that came in the last two weeks, but we have missionaries from all around the world that we support monthly. We have ministries here in Minnesota that we support monthly. Um, and then uh, at the end of the year, we said, you know, we looked at it and said, okay, well, we've given this much away to missions and other ministries, but if we were to give 10% of our income, we have this much left over that we need to give. And it was about $10,000 or maybe $12,000. So it has been really fun to challenge ourselves to find ways that we can give and to bless our community, to bless missions work around the world and the work here in Farmington. So I have a cool story about that that I will share in a moment. But we're going to start out in the book of 2 Chronicles chapter 16 today. 2 Chronicles 16. The books in the Old Testament of Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles, they're all the stories of the kings of the nation of Israel. 
So you start out with King Saul and David and Solomon, and then what happens, and this is part of our story today, is that the kingdom of Israel splits. There's like this civil war, so to speak, and there's a, there's a split where there's the northern kingdom that remains called Israel, and then Judah is the southern kingdom with Jerusalem, and so each of them have their own kings, and that's what the story is about today in 2 Chronicles chapter 16. Every one of these kings you'll read is, some of them are good and pursuing God and, and leading the nation into godliness. Some of them are wicked and they turn the nation into idol worshipers, and it kind of goes up and down. Now, we're picking up the story in 2 Chronicles 16. This is the king of Judah and Jerusalem, King Asa. Now, King Asa is one of those kings, he's trying to do the good, godly thing. He's trying to do some things. He still is kind of half-hearted in his devotion. And uh, in the chapter before this, in chapter 15, one of the prophets, the prophet Azariah, comes to him and he warns King Asa. He says, you keep kind of turning away from God. And then everything gets all messed up, and that's when you turn back to God. And so he's trying to remind him, like, you should learn your lesson by now. When you stay committed to God, things are going to go well for you. So why don't we, you know, stop messing up? <laughs> this could be the story of, you know, any of our faith, right? Someone come alongside of us and say, are you learning your lessons already? This is what's happening with the prophet Azariah and King Asa. And so King Asa takes this to heart, and he starts lots of reforms, he starts tearing down all the idols and the altars and turning the nation away from idol worshipers. He even, he even takes his own mother, who was the queen mother of, of the nation then, who was an idol worshiper, and kicks her out, like deposes her. So that's awkward family meals after that, right? You thought your Thanksgiving was awkward a couple weeks ago? This one would be really awkward. This is what King Asa is doing. And God is instructing him. And God is instructing the nation of Israel, stay devoted, Stay trusting, stay faithful, and things are going to go well for you. So here's where we pick up the story in chapter 16. Because as I mentioned, there's also the northern kingdom of Israel. And they're now enemies, the northern and the southern kingdom. And the king of the northern kingdom is King Basha. And he comes to Jerusalem to prepare for war. And his armies surround King Asa in the city of Jerusalem. So Asa is, you know, he doesn't know what to do. In that moment, he's like, well, we're surrounded by an enemy here. We don't know what to do. We don't have the power to defeat this enemy. So he makes kind of a wise, strategic move. He finds another enemy nation, Aram, the Aramites, and King Ben-Hadad. Now, he forms an alliance with them. And he says, okay, we've got all this treasure in our temple. We're going to give some of it to the Aramites. And in turn, they're going to protect us from King Basha and the Israelites. Does that make sense? So he's finding another enemy that's going to protect him from the one enemy he makes. You know, it kind of seems like a wise move. Like, hey, that's actually kind of smart. He, he solved his own problem here. And so the Aramites come, and they attack Basha and the northern kingdom, and they leave, and Jerusalem and Judah are now safe. And King Asa has solved the problem. And then in verse 7 of chapter 16, Hanani the prophet comes, and he says to King Asa, and he says this, and we'll read it together. Chapter 16, verse 7. At, time, at that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army and the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. Were not the Cushites and the Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. And we're going to pause there for a second. The prophet's coming to King Asa and says, 
Remember years back when the, the Libyans and the Cushites, they were a great army that you were fearful of and you relied on God and he provided the victory? Yet this time, you make an alliance with an enemy nation. What happened to your devotion in God? He's saying this was not a wise strategic move, King Asa. In fact, God is looking down on this and saying this was not the right move at all. So he's saying, remember, the Cushites and the Libyans, a mighty army, great numbers of chariots and horsemen, yet you relied on the Lord, and he delivered them into your hand. And then this is the verse I want us to get today, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. You have done a foolish thing, and from now on you will be at war. So what the prophet is saying to the king is this. The eyes of the, of the Lord are looking around the whole earth. And God is not looking at you saying, hey, good move, good strategic move, planning a thing with your other enemy and making it all work out and giving some of the treasure and way to make, way to make something happen, King Asa. God's not saying that. God is saying, I'm looking for people who still are just going to remain faithful to me. And I'm going to be the one to protect you from whatever enemy comes. When you're surrounded by a battle or an enemy or something that you have no idea, how easy is it for us to start thinking, oh, we got to fix this. I gotta, and we start fretting and worrying and like anxious and we got to solve this problem. And all this scripture is saying is the eyes of God are looking for those that when facing a battle, simply just remain faithful to God. Simply just remain faithful to God. This is what God is wanting King Asa to learn. And in turn... This is what God is wanting all of us as his people to learn. He's saying, trust in me. I'm not interested in your strategy and all the ways that you can align yourself with an enemy nation to protect yourself, to provide for yourself. But rather, God is looking around for people who are just going to stay faithful. When facing an enemy, this is for us today, when facing an enemy or a battle or whatever it is, what we need to learn how to do is to just lean in to God. Lean in to our faith in God. Unlike what King Asa did, who was doing great things and he was tearing down idols and kicking out the idol-worshipping queen mother and all these things. But when the heat got turned up and there was an enemy surrounding the nation, how quickly did he take controls back, try to solve things, try to plan? How quickly did he lean away from the kingdom of God, Right? How quickly did he lean away from God's plan to protect and to provide? When there was a reason to fear, he pulled back from his commitment to God. So my question today is this. When the heat gets turned up in your life, whatever you're facing, financial or emotional or health-wise or relational or whatever battle is, whatever enemy is surrounding the city gates in your life, when the heat gets turned up, do you pull back from God? Do you kind of take controls again? Or do you lean in to your faith, to your commitment? Do you lean in the way that God wanted King Asa to lean in? This has become uh, real to us in our family, uh, an example of this, of trying to take the controls back, is we are now on kid number three of driver's training. Okay, so we have successfully, maybe successfully is a strong term, um, successfully trained two drivers to drive, and they're doing fine, um, and now we're on our third. And uh, the consensus amongst the kids is that I'm the preferred driver instructor. Are you, husbands and wives, is there one that was kind of like, this was my job? Because it was like, for whatever reason, I'm the preferred one. I think because my reactions are slower and more... Um, 
even keeled and calm. <laughs> and really, that's not, I mean, there's times if you're turning down the wrong way on a one-way street, you don't need slow, calm reactions. You need someone to be like, no, you're going the wrong way. But for whatever reason, the kids, you know, they say, no, I want dad to take me. So this is the, this is the, the tension that maybe in a small way we're, we're preaching about today. Because when I'm in the passenger seat, I'm like doing all my things like, okay, I'm just letting you have control. You know, it's fine. I trust you. You're a good driver. And, but inside, I'm just like, oh, man. And you, find, you do this, you find yourself hitting the imaginary brake pedal. You're like, there's nothing there. I'm, like I'm going to kick through the floor of this Kia right now because I'm, and it's not slowing down. And then the, the worst moment for me as driver, driving instructor was when Lucy was learning. We were actually just leaving the Methodist church when we were meeting there. And I said, well, take a left here. And she started turning right. And I just, you know, right would have been fine. It was, we could have gotten home that way. But I'm like, no, no, left. So I grabbed the wheel and I start turning it. And she's like, what are you doing? And then we get like stuck in the middle of the road. And I'm like, ah, back up. And she, and so we, we finally got going. And, and in that moment, I realized, okay, that was a bad move by me. I shouldn't grab the steering wheel and start doing things like that. I say that to say this. In that moment, it's like us in our life where we're like, okay, we're living open-handed with our faith in God. Okay, God, you take control. Um, I trust you. I lean into you. And then as soon as the, the tension gets ratcheted up, as soon as the heat comes and the battle comes, we're grabbing the wheel. We're like, oh, I got to solve this myself. I got to solve this problem myself. And of course, this comes down to do we trust in God's ability to provide for his kids? I, what I love about that verse, the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth, looking for those whose hearts are fully committed to him. And he's going to strengthen those people. And he's going to protect those people. So what this verse teaches us is when we are surrounded by an enemy, the safest place to be is right with God. Right with God. Not with another enemy that can help us. Not with a strategic thing. Not with a bunch of resources by our side. Just simply with God. This is what it is. God, with God, is the best place to be. No matter what situation you are in. No matter what shortfall you are facing. And so the goal for us as followers of Jesus, and you might, be a, you might not even be a Christian yet or you're just checking this out or you maybe have been a Christian your whole life. We all are going to kind of have this tension of trying to you know, grab back the controls of our life. It's always going to be a struggle. But the goal for us is to just lean in and, and to get our lives kind of in the flow of what God is doing, to lean into our commitment and say, God, I want to be with you. I want to be committed to you. Wherever you're going, that's where I want to be because that's the safest place. That's the place that we are most well provided for, is in the, you know, under the care of God. Leaning into the flow of what God is doing. Complete commitment. And when he sees us doing that, he's going to say, yeah, that, these, are the, these are the lives I'm going to protect because you're with me and I want to take care of my kids. So what this has to do with giving, because we've been talking about giving over the last three weeks, is if we want to be about the things that God is about, if we want our lives to be in the flow of what God is doing, well, God is about giving. God is a God who gives. God is all about giving. And this isn't just financial, but this is like the broad sense of having our life be about giving, loving others, serving others, being generous with our time and our resources, caring for the needs of people. When we have something and other people are in need, we share what we have with other people. It's a life of generosity. It's serving. 
And when our lives are kind of in that godly flow of giving and generosity, that's when God says, yeah, that's the life I can trust. This is the, the life I can fully provide for because I can know I can trust them with resources because they're going to continue to give it out to other people. It's the fundamental thing we've been talking about for a couple of weeks with resources is this, that it's all God's. It's all God's resources, and he gives some to us so that we can be good stewards and bless others with it. And then he continues to provide, and we continue to bless. This is how God's economy works. Unlike our national view of money where it's like hungry, hungry hippos, where there's only a certain amount of marbles, and we got to clamor up as many as we can, right? This is how we like to view money. But God is saying, nope, fully commit, fully trust, offer your resources out, and God will continue to provide. So when we want to be about the things that God is about, this is how we live. This is how we live. We change the flow of resources in our life. And when the heat gets turned up, when we're facing something, financial, whatever it is, facing a battle, resist the urge to grab the controls again and start holding onto our, holding onto our resources. Lean in more and say, God, this is the moment where I learn more how to trust you when the heat is dialed up, when the enemy surrounds. This is the moment where I learn how to take another step of faith and trust. I mentioned that we, we were giving away some money as a church and as a, staff, as a staff in our staff meeting on Tuesday night, just this past week. We were talking about, you know, here's the money we have left over, and it's between ten dollars and $12,000. And it's not like that money is like in a big bucket down in the conference room. It's in our account. And so taking it out of our bank account, you know, it looks a lot like money leaving our bank account. And so we're thinking, oh, and in the moment we're like trying to, we're being generous and we're thinking, well, who could we bless and what resources and we'll make sure that our missionaries are taken care of. And, and it was really fun to have that moment where we're like, oh, we could give it towards this and this and this and uh, how we can bless our city this Christmas. And you know, I think for me, there was just that moment of, oh, that's a, still quite a bit of money, you know. We could do other stuff with that money, too. I mean, we're important as well, I guess. You know, all these little, you know, the little devil on your shoulder moments, and some of you feel that. Some of you texted give to the Reel of Hope number, and you're going to get the, the follow-up text Monday morning, and Monday morning often looks a little different than Sunday morning, right? You're like, oh, I could, I don't know what I was thinking yesterday. I got, I maybe not be, was... I was just doing that because people were watching. Yeah, I didn't really mean it. So I was, we were having kind of this conversation, and that was Tuesday night. And it was, it's a step for us to do that. It's a step for us to, to give away that money. So then Wednesday morning, the next morning, what happens is I get a phone call from another pastor from a church. And this is a church in the South Metro. We really don't have any connection with this church. This is not an Assemblies of God church. Um, I know the pastor somewhat, I mean, a little bit, but we're not best buds um, and uh, he said, hey, our church, every year we, we have some money set aside to bless some of the local churches, and uh, you were one of the churches we want to bless this year. And so the night before, when we were looking to figure out how to give away $10,000, the next morning, this pastor's talking to me, and he says, so I'd love to meet you at the building, and I have a check for you for $20,000 from their church. And I'm just like, are you, ki are you kidding me? Which is awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. So... All that to say is, I, I trust that God's taking care of our church. I trust that God's providing for our church. But I would have never seen that one coming. Like, of all the ways that I thought, okay, God's going to provide, I could think of, if it was going to be another church, I might think, well, maybe another Farmington church, or another Assemblies of God church, or, or another church, a big church that I'm, like, besties with the pastor with, or something like that. I would have never thought this one 
okay? So all that to say, and I, I texted him back and I said, hey, I want to make sure I, you know, this is a great moment for our church to hear this story. What a great story because this is what we're talking about. This is what we're talking about. God has infinite ability to provide for you. And as we take steps to just get our lives into the flow of what he's doing, he just, he knows how to provide for his kids. And I love it when it's, I mean, I love when he provides in any way, but when it's ways that you just would have never even thought were possible. I mean, I've been in those situations where like, I, I didn't even know there was money there. You know, one of those things, like it's, it's amazing. Like we don't, we can never limit God's ability to provide. He, we can't outgive him. So when you are facing a shortfall, or a fear, or an anxiety, or maybe there's something that God is uh, stirring your heart for supporting a missions, one of the missionaries, or the real hope, or um, best Christmas ever, or toys for town, or something like that, and you're thinking, I don't know, I, you know, things are a little lean here, and this is not us trying to strong arm you into, into anything, but all I'm encouraging you to do is just lean in with your faith in God, and say, God, I know that you're going to be able to provide. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to trust God that as I'm generous, he is going to provide. And Christy did such a great job last week. He doesn't just provide equal amounts. He provides pressed down, shaken together, running over. Not so that we get rich then, so that we can bless more. Right? This is, this is how God works. So when you are facing a fear or a shortage or whatever is causing tension in your life, resist the urge to draw back in your faith. Resist the urge to take the controls again and say, God, you're clearly not doing this right. i got to handle this one myself. Um, clearly, God, I said turn left and you're turning right, so now I'm taking the steering wheel and doing Resist that urge and lean into your faith. Lean into your commitment. This is where we learn how to persevere in our faith. And it's that kind of faith that the eyes of God are looking around the earth, looking for those whose hearts are fully committed and he's going to strengthen them and fully provide for them. This is, uh, I want to close with uh, some verses from Isaiah chapter 58. This really sums up God's heart for his people so well, and this idea of giving and caring for those who are in need. Because we think, we like to think that uh, giving is, you know, one of the things maybe we should do, but it's also, you know, we've got to obey the Ten Commandments, and God tells us to, you know, we've got to read our Bibles and act like a Christian and do all the religious things, right? So here's some verses from Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah was one of the main prophets in the Old Testament talking to the nation of Israel on behalf of God. This is what God is saying to the nation of Israel. And it starts in verse 3 of Isaiah 58. And it's, it's, it starts out with the Israelites crying out, and they're saying, Why have we fasted, they say, and why have you not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? So this is what the Israelites are saying to God. God, you are far off because we're fasting and we're doing all the religious things, and are you even there? Do you even care about that? Do you even notice? Ever been in that situation where you're like, God, I'm praying, and it seems like you've forgotten who I am? This is where they're at. God, we're fasting, and we're doing all the religious things. Why are you not accepting this? And then it goes on. Have you not even noticed? And this is what Isaiah says. Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with fists. So in other words, God is saying, I don't care about all the religious things. You're mistreating people. You're mistreating others. You're not loving others. He continues on. You cannot fast today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only for a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed 
and for lying in sackcloths and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? In other words, God is saying, really, he's saying, spare me all the religious pretense, all this stuff that you're going through the motions. You're mistreating people. You're not taking care of others who are in need. So don't talk to me like you're devoted and fasting and, and expecting me to hear you on high. Is this what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is this not the kind of fast I have chosen? And here's where God says, this is what's on my heart for my people to do and how they show their faith. It's this, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked, clothe them, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. And then here's a big word, then. Everyone say, then. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call on the Lord and answer, and you will cry for help, and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. In other words, no matter what the economy is, you will be provided for. In a sun-scorched land, he will provide for you and he will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden like a spring whose waters never fail. Those are amazing verses. What an amazing challenge from our God. Then all of these things are going to happen. If you will get away from your, what your idea of being religious is and simply care for those who are oppressed, lay down your life for those who are in need, care for the widow and orphan, for the hungry, for the poor, for those who are being mistreated, if you spend yourself on behalf of the hungry, all of these things, if you do this, then that's when your righteousness is going to shine like the sun. Then it's when you're going to see God move on your behalf. So this is our challenge today. To lean in to our commitment. To get into the flow of what God is doing, caring for others. To see our life have an impact more than just going through religious ceremony and coming to church on a Sunday, but to see God move through us, changing our city and our state. The eyes of God are watching throughout the earth, looking for those who fully trust him. And he's going to provide for them. He's going to strengthen them. He's going to care for them and build them up. So as we have opportunities to give, I just want you to be open. Lean into your faith. Let's close in prayer today. Before we pray together, maybe just with your eyes closed, you just want to take a moment and just allow God to speak to you. Holy Spirit, just speak to us. Lean in. I know some people here are facing really tough circumstances right now. Resist the urge to, to feel like you've got to draw back from your faith, but lean into God today. Say, God, I, in the midst of this battle, in the midst of looking around and seeing an enemy surrounding every area of my life, I lean in. I lean in. I fully commit to you. 
areas that I have been trying to grab control of my life and manage it myself, Lord, I repent of those things and I want you to take control. I want you to be the Lord of my life. So Lord, we, help, we uh, ask that you would just help us do this. We pray that you would guide each of us. We can do things collectively as a church, but I know we can do a whole lot more when you just guide each of us as families and individuals and, and meet needs that we don't even know about, needs that are just in our neighborhoods that nobody else really knows about. So Lord, guide us and lead us. Help us to be generous, to get your heart for others, and that's just a great way for us to learn how to trust you that you're going to continue to provide for us. So we ask all of these things in your great name. Amen.